everybody, this is Joel Junker, and welcome to another episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast Above and Beyond. And in this podcast, I interviewed a Cameron Brooks alumnus, uh, Mike Cotter. Uh, Mike is a former uh, Marine Corps officer who made the transition several years ago, transitioning to a biopharmaceutical company. Um, and, and then, after about four years with them, moved to Stryker Medical. Stryker Medical is a Fortune 500 a medical device company, and one of the neat things that that Stryker is doing is that they're doing a lot with robotic assisted surgery, uh, specifically with total knees and total hips, and the robotic system is called the uh, Mako robot. Uh, Mike talks about his role as an operations manager there, leading a team of people that are in the the responsible for not only making the robotic systems, but he also leads a team of people that create the surgical plan for the doctors using that robotic system. Uh, It's a unique uh, product, uh, and I encourage you to go to Stryker's website, look up the Mako robot, and look at some of the neat things that Mike's involved with. And I hope you enjoy the podcast. As always, to learn more about Cameron Brooks, uh, the transition, uh, please visit our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. You can always get a, also get a copy of our book called PCS to Corporate America, which you can order from Amazon. Enjoy. Mike, thanks for joining us on the, the podcast. I uh, appreciate you being on the call with us. Um, so what I thought we could start with is, is tell us a little bit about um, tell us a little bit about you and what you do at Stryker in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Absolutely, Joel. Thanks for having me on. Definitely uh, happy to be here. Um, so yeah, my current role, I'm a uh, senior operations manager. So um, what that entails is in essence, I've got responsibility over um, the production of our robotic assisted uh, device, right? Or, you know, robot to kind of boil it down. But uh, what the device does is it really assists surgeons during uh, orthopedic implant uh, joint replacement. So primarily total hip and total knee, um, as well as partial knee. But anyways, my, my responsibility is to, is to build those robots, or I lead the team that builds those robots um, on the production side. In, in addition to that, um, I've also got responsibility over um, some of the service side of our business. So what, what that entails is our, um, our segmentation team, which is really preoperative um, surgical planning. So really what that, what, what that means is for every surgery that gets performed out in the field by one of our robots in a hospital, um, there's a preoperative surgical plan that goes along with that that's specific and unique to the patient. So I, I oversee that team as well. And then um, also the factory service part of our business, which is really like, hey, you know, robots in the hospital, something breaks, you know, we have, we have like spare parts that we make for that. And, you know, we, we build those parts and then ship them out to the field as well. So that's my, my current role um, that I'm in right now. And again, for a lot of it's really, Florida, it's really our, go ahead, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I just thought it was really interesting. If you're making a robot, you get parts for robots, but there's also this really unique middle part that when I saw you in August, we, we did a lot of work, you know, talking and getting up speed, but where you got a team of people that are creating a digital system for the robot to basically guide the surgeon on how to do a total knee of total hip implant. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I've only been like the robotics part of our business for, about eight months now um, since I moved down to Florida from our, you know, we'll probably get into more, more into this later, but from our uh, setup in, in New Jersey. But um, yeah, it's really cool. So that's when I first came down, I was really leading that team uh, specifically. And 
I'm sure we'll talk about this too potentially, but we just hired a couple of Cameron Brooks folks at the uh, out of the September, um, I guess it was August uh, career conference. But so I, I hired a manager to basically backfill me, and he's leading that team now. But the process itself is very very cool. Um, like you said, it's really a, it's a digital um, you know product in itself, right? I mean, so basically we're creating this plan that's specific to a patient. You know, we take it from sort of uh, to operationalize the terminology, you take it from like a raw material, which is like a CT scan, which is a two-dimensional image, and you basically convert that CT scan into a three-dimensional bone profile, uh, which the robot needs to uh, execute a surgery. And then we, we cater a, a plan around that bone, bone profile, we'll replace landmarks, and we you know, make the recommendations uh, in the plan of the surgeon in terms of how to actually approach you know, the, uh, the surgery itself and how to um, how to place the implants and even the size and type of implant as well. So uh, it's a pretty cool process. We, you know, we basically get a request from the field, which is like our internal customer, uh, a striker employee who sits in the OR with the surgeon. And then we take that request, convert it into a finished plan and give it, basically give it back to uh, that Mako product specialist in the field who actually sits in the OR with the surgeon. So it's cool. We get a chance to see really uh, almost full cycle of the, of the business. And, and um, why is robotic surgery why is this robot, um, and then the your people that are mapping this uh, entry points, if you will, what advantage does it give an orthopedic surgeon, um, vice uh, maybe an orthopedic surgeon who's just doing, uh, not, I shouldn't say just because it's still incredibly complex and technical, but doing sure. uh, not robotic surgery? What kind of advantage does your your robotic system uh, give them? And what's the name of the robotic system again? It has a very specific brand to it. Name yeah, it's the yep, yeah, it's it's the Mako. Uh, Mako is the is the brand name of the um, robotic arm. And so and, how? Uh, so tell us the advantage it gives them, and then tell us how it works for the surgeon when they're using it. Yeah, so I, I think like brass tacks. What what's the the advantage is like better patient outcomes, right? So if you just want to kind of boil it down to that, what I, what I mean by that, and we have a lot of data obviously to support this certainly now. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's really reducing variability, right, in surgical technique. Um, uh, the software really puts, you know, the surgeon at the end of the day, of course, is still performing the surgery, you know, with the robotic arm, right, looking at it from a legal perspective, of course. Um, but the robot really sort of puts uh, the surgeon into like a box, right, into like very specific parameters where it makes you execute the plan um, to a T. So in other words, like the, the risk of like placing an implant in the wrong place or uh, the risk of, you know, like one of the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the uh, joint being repaired or replaced, um, you know, being longer than like the, the other limb or uh, things like that are, are reduced or even eliminated really um, by just the accuracy of the robot. Um, so we help set the, set the surgeons up for success. They know going in that, um, you know, that their outcomes are, are, are going to be better. We have, again, we have a lot of data to support that now, which is great. And um, your question? so I think, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Uh, um, tell us then, uh, you know, I think then now we know what you're doing, where you are. Tell us how you got into healthcare manufacturing. In other words, yeah. college, Marine Corps, How'd you get, why'd you decide to get out and end up here? Give us that background now. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I went to, um, university of New Hampshire for, uh, undergrad, um, graduated in 20 in 2006. Um, and then, you know, went right into the Marine Corps officer candidate school, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Marine Corps training pipeline. 
Uh, I was fortunate to become an infantry officer, um, so I spent six years as an infantry officer, you know, fairly uh, traditional, I guess, career path there, you know, second lieutenant, you know, rifle platoon commander, uh, weapons platoon commander as well, actually, um, you know, company XO. Uh, then I had, I guess, a little bit of a of a, of a uh, anomaly, a positive way, but I had a chance to be on an embedded training team in Afghanistan, so really partnered with the Afghan National Army um, as a combat advisor. Um, so that was like my first four years, kind of in a nutshell. Uh, after that, I, I came back, uh, did what we call like our B-Billet. I'm sure there's other terminology and other services for that. But in essence, a sort of outside of the operating forces tour for a couple of years where I was at the School of Infantry. And so there I was usually responsible for um, training entry-level Marines fresh out of boot camp in uh, infantry uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures. Um, so that for two years was a company commander there, a training company commander, and then you know made a decision to get out. Partnered with Cameron Brooks back in 2012. <clears throat> I went to the uh, June 2012 career conference, I believe it was. Um, was fortunate to get a, uh, a position, a production supervisor predict, uh, position with Shire Pharmaceuticals back in Massachusetts, which is where I'm from originally. So that was a uh, great opportunity, great company, um, a lot of fun. Spent four years with them. Uh, I was a supervisor there for about three years in a couple of different plants in the same uh, on the same site. Um, so we biomanufacturing, so it's part of like our rare diseases uh, business unit with Shire. Um, my last year there, I spent as a continuous improvement, uh, like operational excellence lead uh, role there. So I got a chance to get my Six Sigma black belt and a chance to uh, work with a lot of different partners in the operations role there uh, from a project perspective to, to kind of roll out some lean initiatives. Uh, so towards the end of that fourth year, I got a great opportunity with Stryker. Um, so, you know, it's just about a, you know, just a little over a year ago, I guess now, about a year and a half ago, um, to join the operations team in Maui, New Jersey, which is uh, sort of Stryker's flagship orthopedics uh, implant manufacturing facility. So really fun, really good opportunity. Um, so join them up there as an associate manager. So I led a couple of different manufacturing teams. Um, had they're both stems teams, which means basically we were making the the hip stems that are part of the uh, total hip replacement system. So I had both our titanium and cobalt chrome teams, and that's just obviously difference in material. The the, the products themselves were, you know, designed and manufactured very similarly. Um, so I was there for a pretty brief time, actually like eight months. Um, great opportunity came up. Uh, basically, my, my boss there, um, his former boss, had recently, by recently I mean like a year prior, um, left the Mao facility and taken over as like a GM for um, our Mako facility in Fort Lauderdale, which again is like our robotics hub. Um, Stryker had acquired that company not too long ago, and basically he'd come down to sort of um, uh, get the manufacturing facility up to sort of striker standards, right? So pretty cool opportunity for him. You know, long story short, uh, we kind of connected, felt like there would be a great role for me down here um, in robotics, came down, did that segmentation role I was talking about earlier um, for about uh, five months or so. And then this other kind of more senior operations role came up and I just started that back in September. So uh, pretty quick sort of cycle, I guess, with Stryker, but um, I guess I've been a beneficiary of kind of right place, right time. So it's been a lot of fun. Right. And I have a couple of questions that um, based on that. Um, why did you decide to get get out of the Marine Corps? And um, was it a hard decision for you? 
Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's definitely, at least for me, it was, it was a difficult decision. I suspect it probably is for most guys and gals. Um, yeah, I think for me, when I joined the Marine Corps, I don't know that I don't know that I ever thought of it as like, hey, I'm going to go, you know, be a Marine officer for 20 plus years. I think at the time, um, you know, I felt like I wanted to just kind of play my part in sort of the global war on terrorism, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, I joined up and like I made a decision like junior year of college to do it, the OCS thing. Um, it was like 05, right, 06. So at the time, we we're in a couple of wars, Iraq, Afghanistan, and for me, it was just, hey, look, I think I'm a you know, reasonably able-bodied, uh, <laughs> able-minded guy, I guess, and uh, wanted to just kind of do my part, right? And I, would, I don't think I would have been a look, look in the mirror, um, you know, later in life if I hadn't done it. So, um, but that said, I, I never really thought I'd be like a career, you know, Marine officer. So uh, in that sense, I think it was just time, you know, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd done the operating force thing, I, I deployed, um, felt like I contributed, and I was just ready to kind of get into the corporate world and start doing more of a... Um, I don't know, I guess a traditional career. So that was sort of the triggering point, I guess. What would your advice be to other officers that might be listening to this about how to make the decision to get out and then also how to think about what they want to do if they get out? Yeah, so, I mean, I, the decision is obviously personal for everyone. I mean, I think one thing I would say, and, and you know, I think, Joel, I even remember talking to you about this and maybe even Rob as well back in, uh, you know, 20, 2012 or 2011, um, you know, you got you got to make the decision first, right? In other words, like you got to kind of get off the fence, like either get in or get out, right? And then, you know, once you make that decision, then it's time to start thinking about, you know, what are you going to do for a career? Um, but what I would say is like, don't you know, stay in if you want to stay in, but you know, I, I wouldn't stay in for the wrong reasons. And wrong reasons to me are like, hey, it's safe, it's stable, it's consistent. I kind of know what's going to happen. Um, you know, at least for me, anyways, like you got to really want to do it, right? If you're going to stay in, you got you got to want to be there. So, um. You know, if you want to have a the, sort of the corporate life, um, then hey, I would say get out, right? Or have a little more stability in life, I'd say get out. Um, as far as what was the second part of your question? Sorry. I think I. What would you say? I might have been. Uh, I was saying, what would you say to somebody about trying to figure out what they want to do? So there's one decision. I'm going gotcha. to get out. And how do you figure out yep. what you want to do? What would your advice be to them? How did yeah. you figure yeah, it out? Because I re- yeah. and the reason why I ask you this, Mike, I remember yeah. you came to yeah. a presentation sat through it, but it was like six months, maybe a year later before you kind of really yep. came to us. Okay, I'm ready. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah, I was kind of, I mean, I think I was pretty clueless actually in terms of like what was really out there, right? And yeah, I think a lot of us probably are. Um, you know, obviously, I think, you know, the, this, the Karen Brooks program is really good, the, the reading program and the, the DPP and all that as far as, uh, like I got a lot of the reading list, right? I mean, personally, I mean, I, I think I read every single book on that list and I, I just got a better, uh, better feel for really what the industries are like, right? And so, um, you know, I don't know that for sure at any point in time I knew I wanted to do operations, but I think at some point, um, you know, it might even been like just part of the interview process. Uh, I realized that I personally naturally kind of gravitated the operations world um, pretty naturally. I mean, I think, you know, as an infantry officer, like there's just a ton of similarities to being like an operations leader and being an infantry officer. And not to say that you couldn't do that from another background in the military too but for me it was just natural i felt like being a team leader was something i was good at um you know learning the business of course something new to me but uh i just kind of naturally liked leading teams of people you know towards common objectives and so operations to me became um pretty apparent uh the right path um so how 
what were your concerns when you were getting out in terms of what you might miss about the Marine Corps? And then what have you found to be reality? Yeah, I think, um, I think I was pretty clear eyed about that. Um, yeah, I, I think I knew I'd miss the camaraderie. Um, I, I also think I knew like you can't really replicate the like level of autonomy, level of responsibility, um, in the corporate world that you have in the, in the military, the Marine Corps, right? I mean, you know, as a 20, you know, 25, 26, whatever year old, um, you know, company commander or platoon commander or whatever, like, you know, you're, you're probably not going to jump into the corporate world and be leading 40 people or 170 people. Um, you're probably not going to have like the sort of wide open um, decision-making ability. You, know, you probably have to interface with, you know, a little bit more closely with kind of a matrix type organization in the corporate world. So <clears throat> I think, um, I think reality did match that um, thought process I had. So when I, when I joined the corporate world, I think those things came to fruition, right? I kind of, but luckily I was sort of prepared for it, right? When I, when I, you know, I, I led a smaller team up front, I, you know, a little bit tighter boundaries in terms of the decision-making process. So I guess those are things I expected, but I think they did come to fruition. So looking back, I think that was probably the, the right, the right mindset to come out with. Okay. And um, Mike, how do you think, um, how has your military officer background helped you be so successful? I mean, you really have. When you walk through the tell me about yourself piece or what you've done and how you got here, especially after you got that foundation set at Shire, you have moved really quickly and rapidly increasing responsibilities. What is it that you learned in the military that you're applying in your in your business career that's allowing you to be successful? Yeah, I mean, I think like, Honestly, I think like just like the kind of refusal to fail, you know, like just failure not being an option or, or, or just, fail, you know, refusing to give up. Um, I mean, it, that's not really that common, believe it or not, in the, in the corporate world. I mean, you see, um, you know, you see a lot of people that sort of hit their first obstacle or their second obstacle and they kind of say, okay, it's probably isn't going to work. Um, you know, I think what the military does pretty well is it, it teaches you how to get over those obstacles, right? Or find a different way or find a different path. And so I think if I had to boil down like the one thing that I pulled away from, you know, being a Marine officer, it's that. It's just not really accepting uh, failure. You know, just find a, find a way, um, you know, find a way to get it done. And, and uh, it's, it served me pretty well. Did you, would you be willing to share with us like something that was a little bit harder for you to adapt to in business or maybe you didn't have anything yeah. that you had to adjust to? What did you find the, the hardest yeah. adjustment to be and how'd you do it? Yeah, no, it's great. It's a good question. I mean, for me, it was probably like letting my guard down. Um, you know, I, I think I've probably become a little more self-aware and like I, uh, you know, part of being successful, at least for me anyways, um, you know, I really had to be, I guess, give more of myself or more of kind of my personal, uh, you know, life to kind of my colleagues. And, and you know, I know in the, in the Marine Corps, probably even more than, than other services, you kind of just come do the job and, you know, uh, get it done and kind of go home or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think in the corporate world, at least for me, you know, people want to know more about you. You know, they want to get to know you more on like the personal level. Um, there's a lot more like small talk. And, you know, I wasn't very good at small talk. I don't know if I even still am. I've gotten better. Um, but for me, that was probably the biggest adjustment. Just, you know, you really, get to, you really get to spend the time to get to know people, spend the time to build rapport with people, you know, drink coffee, have a beer after work, whatever. Um, and that's really a, a key to, I think, having success is just building those relationships with people. So for me, that was probably the, initially the biggest, the biggest change or biggest adaptation for me. 
That's really good advice, Mike. And I got to tell you, I'm not good at that either. It's the feedback <laughs> that I get from my team all the time. They kind of just want to really get to know yeah. me. And um, I wouldn't say yeah. that I'm transactional. I'm just very businesslike and yep. got a mission. And I just sit down and go to the mission and make things happen. And um, I think that's actually, and I'm not saying that, I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's also yeah. rare. I think a lot of people really want relationships and they want to work yep. hard, but they want to get to know the people that they're working with. And I get a lot of feedback that they kind of want to see the lighter <laughs> side of me. And yep. it's just not my style, but it doesn't mean I have to, can't get better at it. I have to. So you're yep. right. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely been a, been a, uh, a battle for me, but you know, it's, 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 you know, you just got to kind of go against, at least for me, go against my instincts a little bit, but it's, uh, it's overcomable. I mean, I think it's going okay. How did you get your MBA and still lead a manufacturing team while you were working? Yeah. At- yeah. So it was, it was a challenge, but I, I did it. Yeah. While I was at Shire still, um, it was the time of supervisor. So yeah, I went to Northeastern in Boston. So it was a local school. Um, you know, the way that the program was set up, it was kind of like one of those executive type programs, right? So it was sort of set up conducive to the, the, the full-time worker, um, so it was a challenge. I mean, definitely some long hours on the weekends, some, um, you know, some time after work, you know, most days getting through it, but simply knock it out in two years. And um, yeah, I won't say it was easy, but um, I think it was worth it. And I, I know for me and, uh, you know, I wanted to get my MBA, but I, I wanted to, you know, be earning money and, you know, starting my career. And I didn't want to sort of have that, that break um, post-military where I'd sort of just only do business school and then, you know, get a job after. So for me, it was just, it just made more sense to do all while I was working, but you know, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, you're busy for sure. How has that helped you in all these things that you're doing right now? Because right now you get, you said earlier, uh, either before we got started on the call, I've got some distribution responsibilities. I got some service where it's a sales group. I'm running an operations group. What types of things do you think that you picked up in your MBA, either formally or informally, that are helping you be an ops manager, a better, really, like manufacturing operations, logistics type of person? Yeah, so I think, um, so my, my undergrad was like political science and justice studies at a double major. So for me, like, I, you know, I didn't necessarily have exposure to, I guess, like those traditional business classes as an undergrad, right? So for me, um, a lot of the the purpose of the MBA was really filling those gaps or filling those voids. So um, at least for me, it helped me get a better picture of like, you know, business as a whole, like what the, you know, what the industries were, you know, what that meant, um, how the whole business is, how business connects like end to end to your point, you know, from like raw material, you know, through production, through like distribution, it just kind of gave me that full picture of what that looks like. Obviously every industry is a little different, but um, it certainly gave me more of a flavor um, for what I could expect as I sort of moved up the management chain. Um, I think in addition to that, um, you know, the education itself was great, but it's also a nice thing to have certainly as you, um, you know, maybe advance in the, in the management career path. Like I wouldn't say it's a hard, you know, written requirement um, in my current role, but it's sort of expected. Um, you know, it's definitely one of those like preferred type of things in your in kind of the job description. So I think, you know, right now, I probably wouldn't have gotten, uh, I, mean, I don't want to say that for sure, but I, I don't know if I'd be in the role I'm in today without, without having it. So I think it's definitely been a benefit. Mike, when you, if you're, you know, you're, maybe you're talking here to answering this question for people who are in their first year in business, maybe the people are going to be making the transition in the next four to five months. What is your advice to people 
that are early in their business career, meaning the first days, the first few months, what would your advice be to them to be successful? The do's and the don'ts, if you will. Sure. Um, so I think, and I'm actually, you know, I'm sort of giving this guidance right now to to, to Jeremy, who uh, we just hired through Cameron Brooks. Um, and it's just, it, I think it's invest the time uh, up front in like really learning the business and learning like your process, whatever that might be. Um, just go deep, um, kind of just be, be self-aware um, of what you know, what you don't know. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I have listened to some of the other um, Cameron Brooks alum podcasts and I, I, I noticed the theme is sort of around humility and I, I would echo that as well. And I think that's kind of what, what I'm getting at is just kind of, kind of know what you don't know and, um, you know, be humble enough to just go deep and ask questions, learn the process. It's also, it's also going to help you build relationships with um, the people you're working with. They're going to appreciate that, um, that you're, you're interested in that you, um, you're self-aware enough to, to realize that you might not have the background that, that some of them do in the career path that they've had. Um, I think also I would say, uh, you know, know that you do bring some things that are unique to the table, right? Um, so, you know, one of the things that became apparent to me pretty early on um, is that, you know, leadership is not like a common or good leadership is not necessarily like a common uh, attribute, right? And so, you know, we do bring that to the table. So although we might not be uh, as technical or as well-versed in some of the business side of, you know, whatever industry we're in, as maybe some of our colleagues are, we probably are bringing some leadership skills to the table that, that they don't have. Um, and so I would say find a way to use those skills to help the business. Um, I think lastly, I would just say find, uh, find a way to bring value to the business and just go after it, right? I mean, don't, don't necessarily worry about whatever else is doing. Um, you know, find something you can do that's going to add value to the business and just charge full, full speed ahead with it. And you're going to get, you know, get really good results and good feedback for that. Yeah, I guess the book don'ts, recommend? I don't know that, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that, I forgot that. I forgot yeah, I guess, to ask you about the don'ts. What would the don'ts be? Yeah, no worries. Yeah, the don't, I guess the don'ts, and this, I don't know if there's a donor or a do, but like, like just be aware of like the what can be like a negative perception of a military guy and just don't feed that. Right. I think, um, you know, and I probably actually did that to a fault with my first, in my first role. I almost was like uh, apprehensive about talking about my Marine Corps background at all. So I was too afraid that I would like, you know, be like perceived as like this militaristic guy or whatever. So I would say don't do that. So, you know, share your background, but just be aware that, you know, there are some negative perceptions that aren't necessarily true, but about the military and uh, just don't feed those, uh, you know, just be open to feedback, open to criticism, um, and, and just be humble enough to, to know what you don't know. Um, that's probably it for the, for the don'ts, I guess. It's kind of a do slash don't. All right. That's good. I mean, I think that's just good advice and for any yeah. career. And certainly that feed into the, the – you go to a company, especially that's not as familiar with military officers, because there's always new mm -hmm. companies entering this foray. You just – yeah, you got to – you got to – you got to integrate. You got to – and I think that you you gave the advice before you kind of got to drop the the military bearing a little bit um, mm -hmm. to be able to do that. Have you read any good books lately that you would recommend? Um, not yeah, even lately, so I just, several years that you want to tell people to read. Sure. Well, I, I just one that I just finished. It's kind of top of mind that um, that I just finished up was Radical Candor by Kim Scott. I like that quite a bit. I'm not sure if you've had a chance no. to read that yet, but tell, um, us, tell us about it. Yeah, it's really good. So, so it's written by Kim Scott. So she. Um, 
she's sort of like a, I don't know, a management consultant or something now, but she, uh, she was pretty high up, the, high up the chain at like Google and Facebook and I think Apple as well, or maybe it was just Apple and, and Google, but she's, uh, you know, had a, had a pretty good career in, in tech and um, it, it's, it's just cool. It's right off. It's, it actually just talks a lot about um, the need to give people like very direct feedback, very uh, you know, direct expectations, um, but in a way that, you know, they're actually going to hear you and, and listen to you and receive the feedback and, uh, it's good. It's a pretty quick read. I mean, she, she kind of gives a lot of her own personal experiences in terms of how to do that. But um, yeah, the whole radical candor thing is basically like, hey, be so candid that uh, you know there's not really a whole lot of, I guess, room for interpretation. But again, packaging in a way that's able to be received. So it was good. It's right. a pretty quick read. Probably really important, uh, especially as an ops manager where you're leading so many people. Absolutely, absolutely. I still like um, the the gold mine a lot. I'm not sure if I can't remember if that's on. Y'all's reading list or not? I know you guys have the gold it, on there. It might be on the recommended list. List. I read the gold mine. It's a phenomenal book for manufacturing. It's really good. Yeah, it really, really brings really it alive. Good. Yep, and I've read that one a couple times actually. I, I really, I still enjoy that book quite a bit. Um, so those are, I guess those are two that are top of mind that uh, I definitely have enjoyed. I just started. Um, I haven't really got too deep into it, but I just started. What got you here won't get you there. Um, by Marshall oh, Goldsmith. Yeah. Much, yeah, so, yeah, so I, haven't, I haven't read it yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's probably uh, the right time for me to read this one, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, like every five years, you probably need to read that book. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Mike, appreciate you being on the podcast, and, and uh, um, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your insight with our listeners, and we look forward to hopefully maybe in another few years having you back on and tell us about the next version of the, uh, the Mako Robot. Thanks a lot, Joe. I appreciate it. Um, definitely had a good time catching up and glad to come on. And, and look, you know, Kevin Brooks was really good to me. I uh, had a great experience with y'all. And certainly, um, you know, we've hired a couple of folks with you guys recently in, in my group. And then also certainly Striker Wide. I know has been, has been uh, hiring quite a few folks. So y'all, so um, yeah, I look forward to a continued partnership and, and let's definitely stay in touch.